You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Before we jump in, before we pray, I uh, just wanted to get a chance to get you guys a, another group of announcements because some of you still don't listen to the announcements, and that's okay. You're just going to have less reward in heaven. That's all it is. Um, so, let's... <laughs> It's your judgment seat, right? Okay. Um, no. So next Sunday is kind of a big day as a church. Um, most of you that have, uh, have children know schools are going back. So everyone's kind of coming back in. So it's going to be a little chaotic. And on top of that, we start our, our classes again for kids next week. We're excited about that. The rooms are almost done upstairs. The video venue should be done by next week. Um, but just, just, just wanted to give you guys a, a kind of heads up on that. You might want to give yourself an extra time. Um, we, we're kind of changing the parking scheme a little bit and want you to know about it. Go to the slide if you have it. Okay, so um, right now you've got, you know, all these different places you park, and most of you just park in the street too. But what we're going to do is the gravel parking lot that's literally right out there, okay, we're going to reserve that for families with kids. And here's why. Because it's dangerous for three-year-olds to be walking down 68th Street with some of y'all crazy late people to church driving down at 90 miles an hour on a one lane, all right? And so we want to protect our kids. So we're going to leave that for, for families and the little lot right across the street for visitors and for seniors and for handicapped. That's right out there. Everyone else, you got, you know, you got that grass field, you got that grass field, you got all that doctor's lots, you got all these places. You need to walk some of you anyway, so park far away and walk. But reserve this for families, visitors, and seniors, okay? That's your heads up. Um, that's number one. So, and then classes will start. We will be start. Upstairs is going to be a little bit different. We're not completely done with the check-in system for the upstairs, which is K through 5th. Um, next week, the check-in system for upstairs will not be done. Downstairs is just regular. But it, it is coming, and so there's some changes because we have not checked in students upstairs before. So more details to come on that. We just are trying to set it up so we protect your kids as best as we can. Um, so there will be some changes to that, That's, but we want to get those computers and everything finalized before we do that. Um, so that's coming. Third thing is this. Uh, I've talked to just some team leaders from every, almost every single ministry team in the church needs volunteers, right? Children's always needs volunteers because it takes about 100 to 150 a week to do that deal. Um, hospitality needs, needs volunteers. Um, coffee needs volunteers. Uh, prayer, we always would love more people on the prayer team that prays second service. So if you are a regular a member uh, and you're still not plugged in, uh, today is your lucky day because you're going you're gonna to plug in somewhere, one of those four, right? So, uh, and the way to do that, seriously though, is we, we just, for Sunday morning, to serve each other well, for, for it to work, uh, it takes the body being the body. And, and really, I know that some of you, that means you're going to have to be here for three whole hours. I know, that's like a whole football game. That's like a whole, you know, golf round. I mean, you know, not even. So it, it, you, you get to serve the body, and it's part of what we do. It's what we're called to do. And so just if you're interested in one of those teams, children's, hospitality, coffee, whatever, or just wherever's best needed, parking, uh, just use your Connect card today. It's in the seat pocket in front of you. Just put your name, your email, uh, or phone if you want them to call you, and just what team you may be interested in, and we will connect with you that way because we just don't want to have to shut down classes because we don't have enough teachers, and we just don't want to leave someone stranded in the back because we only have so many hospitalities, and we certainly do not want the coffee to run out, all right, because this thing does not run. The Holy Spirit and Pert Coffee. Those are the two essentials on Sunday. Oh. So, uh, so those are just some opportunities for you to serve. 
Uh, and one last thing is this, and this is probably very random, but we are, we, are, we are trying to get to the bottom of a mystery. Ardsley Park has been littered with little fortune cookie-sized papers that say CBC on them. And we have no clue where it came from. They didn't come from us. So one of you has a fancy printer or someone trying to sabotage us. But we have made lots of people in Ardsley Park mad because it's like litter everywhere with little CBC strips of paper. I'm not a tree hugger, but we don't want to litter, all right? And we certainly, it's, it's probably not the best marketing scheme to throw CBC graffiti out in the middle of Ardsley Park. So if that is you, just invite people to church with your mouth. Come to CBC. And if you see those, please pick them up. If you live in Ardsley, tell them it was not us. We're sorry. Uh, we would never litter. Well, some of you may, but we will not as a church officially. We have an anti-littering policy. Um, so please just be aware of that. That's going on, okay? I know that's random, but we just want to be good neighbors. And, you know, Ardsley, littering Ardsley. People in Ardsley take care of their yards, y'all, in case you don't know. And so when they find CBC fortune cookie-sized papers in their bushes, they are not happy. All right, so just trying to be good neighbors. All right, let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father, uh, we are glad we can come and hear from your word. You're, you have spoken. You have had men throughout centuries write down your heart, your word, without error, um, perfect and holy and sweet, and for our uh, building up, for our maturing for our own good. And so I pray as we come to the scriptures, your holy word, that we would come ready, that you, the mighty God of the universe, want to speak to us and you want to do it through your word. And so I pray you would. And I pray that despite the fact that I'm just a broken man standing up here, that you would still work and that your spirit would still move and that your church would still be changed and maturing into the image of Christ, our savior. And that is a work of your Holy Spirit. And so we invite him to come and to fall and to uh, challenge us where we need to, encourage us where we need to, whatever is appropriate, God. We just ask that you would do it for the name of Jesus, for his reputation, and for your glory, I pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, I was just reading through the book of Second Peter this week, my quiet time. I love Peter. Peter's my favorite apostle. He's just the most real to me. Maybe he's the one that relates to me the most because he's just a normal dude who puts his foot in his mouth and messes up and just, he's just real. Um, but I'm, I'm reading chapter one and, I, and there's this portion where he just tells this group of churches that he's writing to and he's encouraging in the midst of really persecution that he's, gonna, that he's just going to keep reminding them of these things. It's no problem for him to remind and remind and repeat and repeat so that long after he is gone, he wants them to be able to recall these things to mind. And, and sometimes as preachers, we feel guilty because we say the same things over and over, but I'm like, no moss. I'm going to say the same things over and over because sometimes we need to do it. You need to hear it. And, and I'm asking, where did Peter learn this? And I'm thinking he learned it from the Savior. Three and a half years, Jesus taught pretty much the same thing over and over and over and over again, right? And the repetition just drove it into their soul so that, so that you take this guy who was rough around the edges that you never would have chosen yourself to be one of the leaders in the early church. And he becomes just this rock, this leader, uh, who's a leader of men who, who go out and, and really were here because of their ministry. Um, and so repetition is good. And so just a reminder as we kind of launch into the fall, and I know it's not really fall, but it kind of is fall because we're back in school. I mean, I know it's like middle of summer, but in the South it's fall, right? So it's fall and we don't have fall anyway because no trees change here. So it's fall. 
Why are we here on Sundays? What, what is our, our, our job? What, what is the mission that God has called us as a church? And we, we've said it before, but we'll say it again. It's for God's glory that we want to equip people to follow Jesus through community and through the Bible. That's the, the most basic thing. We want to equip you to be a follower of Christ. How do we do it? Through the Bible and through community, through the body. Right? And, and we come to one of those portions today in Scripture that is real, it's real elementary in many ways. It's a big E on the eye chart. It's one of the most basic things. In fact, it's one of our core values. It's one of our specs. But it's one that we need to be reminded of, y'all. It's so important. It is so important. So we're going to look at the P in our specs today as we jump back into the book of Luke. Uh, and we're going to be in Luke 11. Last Thanksgiving, we started the book of Luke. We got to the summer, we took a little break, and we're picking it back up now. Uh, and here's our plan. We're going to finish this book around Thanksgiving again. To do that, we're going to cover about a chapter a week, which means you're going to do a little work on your own, okay? So we're going to kind of every week, next week we're going to finish chapter 11, but from after that until we get to really the, the crucifixion and the resurrection narratives, we're going to cover about a chapter a week. And so we're going to be like Home Depot, all right? You can do it. We're going to help. But you're going to have to read ahead, get into the Word yourself. I am tired of having Christians that can only ask the pastors what the Bible says. God has given you the Spirit, and He's given you many translations, and He's given you many resources. You can read the Bible and understand it just like I can. All right? I'm a PE teacher, and if I can do it, you can do it. Okay? So what we're going to do is every week we'll kind of big picture of every chapter. We might not get every single paragraph and every single word, but that's where you come in. That's where you go and get your Bible and you read through it and you kind of do some digging and you talk to your friends about it and that's how we grow. All right? We're not going to spoon feeding us anymore. We're beyond spoon feeding, y'all. Okay? So that's where we're going um, in the next couple months. Um, what we saw when we started this book back in last November was that this guy named Luke, he is a doctor. But he's kind of a little bit like CSI slash Quincy. That's for just those from the 70s, right? I threw you a bone there, the 70s. If you don't know who Quincy was, you can Google it, all right? But he's this kind of investigative, journalistic doctor who goes and digs deep and finds out all the facts about Jesus. And the purpose of him doing so is so that he can write this book to a man named Theophilus, who's this wealthy, Gentile, prominent dude, so that this man may have certainty into what he's heard about Christ. He's, he's getting so detailed and getting all the eyewitnesses so that when he's writing, says, I want you to know that you know that you know that everything about Jesus is true. And so he writes two volumes. He writes Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back, right? The prequel and the, 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 the sequel. The first one is Luke. The second one is the book of Acts. And it's all about who Jesus is and what he's done. And we saw that the theme of the book was really... Uh, in, in verse two, chapter 2, verse 34, then Simeon is prophesying over Jesus. He says this, Behold, this child, Jesus, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. So we call our series Fall and Rising. That everything uh, depends on how you respond to Jesus. If you oppose him, you will fall. If you, if you submit to him, you will rise. And we've seen that. The Pharisees oppose him, and they are on the down. And the, the, and the, uh, the lowly and the poor and the broken are honoring him and they are on the rise. And that's, that's really where we're going to continue to see as we work through the chapters that are ahead of us. And we're in chapter 11, where we're at just kind of historically is we're towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he is on the road to Jerusalem. He is headed to what he came to do, which is be crucified, right? That's why he's here. 
And so we pick up in chapter 11. And he's just really, for the last portion of this book, he's going to really dig in with his followers and teach them what it is to be a follower. All right? So let's jump in. We have a lot to cover, and we don't have a lot of time. Verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. All right, we've seen this a bunch, right? We have seen in this book, uh, more than any other gospel, by the way, John, Luke focuses on the prayer life of Jesus. This is central to who Jesus was. And so what we have said is we have looked at the scripture as what is central to a follower is these five specs, scripture, prayer, engage with the culture for the sake of for the gospel, community, stewardship, right? But that second one, P, prayer, where do we get it? We get it from the life of Jesus. And the disciples all the time, they saw this, three and a half years, hang with them. And what'd they see? They'd be all around the fire and just talking and eating fish. And they'd be like, wait, where'd Jesus go? And then he'd be, Jesus on a prayer walk, you know? Jesus on the side of the mountain. He'd just slip away for hours at a time. And then they just come back, right? Constantly getting away to pray. And on this occasion, he comes back and one of his boys, we don't know which one, says, Jesus, we teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to pray. We teach us to pray. Which is great. Isn't that, isn't that great? Here's guys that have been hanging with Jesus for three years from uber religious culture. You would think if anyone knows how to pray, oh, Bartholomew knows how to pray. But he don't know how to pray. Isn't that great? We just assume that these guys were like super Christian. And they're saying, hey, can you teach us to pray? We don't know how to pray. And, and it should be a great encouragement because there's many people in this room and you wouldn't admit it, but it's you. You're in, the, you're in the little prayer group and someone says, hey, will you pray? And you just feel inadequate. Ooh, I don't know. No, no, no. I don't want to pray in front of people. You feel embarrassed. I don't know how to pray. And we assume. We do a bad job in churches of assuming, don't we? We just assume because you're here, you know all about the Bible, and we, we're awful about it. I, I do it all the time, and I do it with my kids. Last week, I told my youngest, too, I said, hey, I want you to vacuum this room. I want you to do this. I come back an hour later, there's Milton hair everywhere. I'm like, what? I told you to vacuum. You didn't vacuum. Yeah, we did. And I, and I realized I had never actually taught them how to vacuum. I just, I just figured you knew how to do it. It's in, it's, it should be pretty natural. Move over hair. <laughs> Turn it on, plug it in. I mean, it sucks up hair. That's the way it works. But I had to take them. I said, okay, this is what I want. I want you to work here. I want you to get under the couches. I want you to boom. I'd never trained them. I had never taught them to do it. Jesus assumes that, that prayer is not something you naturally do. That you need to be taught. And so if you're here like, I don't know how to pray. Great. That's our job. We're Home Depot. You can do it. We can help. Right? And so, so these guys who have been hanging with Jesus for three years don't know how to pray. It's okay if you're new to the church and you're like, I, I, I just kind of feel embarrassed. Right? I don't know how to pray. Right? Okay? And, and, and there's another thing about prayer that we just need to get out front. When we talk about prayer in the church, it's usually very guilt-ridden, isn't it? Because, isn't it? you know, there's all these stories about the dude who just prayed so long that he wore holes in his wood floors next to his bed. There was like six inch divots where his knees were because he was a prayer warrior. And we think, I don't think I've ever knelt next to my bed. Just, and we guilt people. Oh, there's this guy, he prayed for the salt shakers at his house and then the salt would like dump on his steak. It was a miracle every time he prayed. I mean, and, and we're like, I don't pray. That's not how I pray, right? 
This is not guilt. That's what I want you to get. This is, the goal today is not, oh, you ought to pray more. Oh, bad. Bad CBC people pray. I love that when Jesus is asked by his disciples, and notice they're the ones who initiate, he doesn't respond like, are you kidding me? I've been with you three years. You don't know how to pray yet, you knuckleheads? About time you asked me, Peter. He's like, sure. Let me teach you. And so we're going to come, we're just going to see what the master says, right? Because he wants them to know, y'all. He wants you to know. He wants us to know. All right? So verse 2. He says, and when you pray, say. Let's just stop right there. I think it's important. The word say. Right? What does that mean? To speak. Prayer is real simply talking to God. Right? Communicating with the master. That is it. Super simple. Notice what he doesn't say. When you pray, first and foremost, fold your hands. Cross, you know, cross them in between each other and then bow your heads, no peeking. All right? And get on your knees if you really want it to be holy and matter. Right? He, he says none of that. Why? Because it doesn't matter. It's not about the mode of prayer. You want to lift your eyes to heaven? It's actually probably more biblical than putting your head down. Right? You want to fold your hands? I don't even know where that came from. That's just probably to keep kids from hitting each other during praying. I, don't, I have no clue. You want to walk? You want to kneel? You want to pray out loud? You want to pray in your heart? God knows your heart. You want to write your prayers out? You want to sing your prayers out? Who cares? He just says, say. He doesn't say anything else. Isn't that great? Right? There's no like right. I mean, there's probably wrong, but there's no like method that's better than the other. You don't have to speak with some like, okay, get your real prayer voice on. Let's speak, speak like Darth Vader. Lord. <gasps> I, you are my God. <gasps> I mean, it, it doesn't say that. Right? It doesn't go there. There's not this, you have to pray like the old guys and, you know, you, you know the, the dead guys that pray these fancy prayers that I don't understand. He just says, say. Say. Right? And, and here, just a side note. It's amazing to see how, how many Christians will argue and fight whether or not we should actually recite the Lord's Prayer. Right? I mean, God forbid that we actually pray the exact words Jesus said be horrible to pray the scripture. I mean, that'd be so bad. We would never do. It's what Christians will argue about while people are dying and going to hell is a mirror. It's just amazing to me. You want to say this prayer? Go ahead. It's a great prayer to say. It doesn't mean that's the only prayer you say, but it's a great model. Jesus prayed it. Pray it. Go ahead. But the point is not just pray exactly this. The point is this, this is a great model for prayer. And there's seven things I just want to highlight about prayer for us to encourage us, not to guilt us, but to equip us to want us to pray, all right? So let's just highlight these seven things as we work. So he says, when you pray, say this, Father. Again, stop. All right, this, this is huge. Why so many people, I think, struggle with prayers because they miss this, right? Because you're used to using, you know, prayers from dead guys that you didn't understand and you can't understand. If you, but Jesus is saying, you want to know how to pray. Remember, he's teaching. You want to know how to pray. Don't look at a bunch of religious guys with funny hat with incense everywhere and all these fancy words. Look at a child with his dad. 
That is the model. Father. Father. And, and again, we, if you grew up in the church, you kind of, this is not old, new, this is old, old news to you. This is not new. But you've got to understand in this cultural context, in the Old Testament, this was radical. In fact, God as father was unheard of except for the father of the nation Israel. There was no concept of an intimate, personal dad that you would pray to until Jesus comes along and in 60 plus times in the gospels says, call God father, 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 father. In fact, in fact, it's so radical that the Pharisees want to kill him. Why? One of the reasons, because he called God his dad, which of course he was as the second person of the Trinity. But he says, I can call him my father because he is. But then he says, I want you to call him. He invites us in to call him father as well. He says, he's my dad, you call him father. And could it be that so few of us pray because we're so guilted about the prayer itself? We say, oh, I gotta pray, I gotta pray. And, and we're, we're missing the tree in the forest. It's like trying to drive and we're just staring at the windshield, but we're not actually looking where we're going. Don't focus on prayer, focus on the father, because the more you get to know the father, the more you will talk to him. That's the, it's just talking to God. I mean, imagine a child who has been abandoned, an orphan, and left in the street. He's been neglected. He's been abused. And one day, a loving, gracious man gets down on his knee and looks with a smile on the face of the child and says, I choose to adopt you today. Today, you are my child. I'm going to give you my name. And I'm, you're going to inherit one day everything that is mine. Right? And I'm going to adopt you in our family. And you've got lots of brothers and sisters already at home. And they love you and they can't wait to meet you. And as your dad, I will love you with a never-ending love. Nothing will ever make you, me love you more or love you less than I do right now. I always, always pursue you. I will always forgive you. I will always lead you. I will always help you. I will always feed you. For the rest of your life, I will do good to you. And I will never abandon you. I will never betray you, and I'll never harm you. Now come with me now, I'm your dad. Now is that child going to talk to that father? Yes. That's prayer. Because that is what God has done for those who have put their faith in Christ. And so the first thing I want you to see, the most important thing, if you fall asleep, you can do it after this. I'm not encouraging that, but if you do, do it after this. Is this, pray to a loving father. Jesus says, pray to a loving father, not some distant being who's out there and indifferent and negligent and mad and angry, not some dad that is just tolerating you, one who has sent his only son, his most precious son, to die in your place so that you could be brought into his family. Pray to that dad. And you don't have to impress him. You don't have to use fancy words. Me and one of my, my boys were up in Chicago a few weeks ago. And we were going to go to a movie. And he, and he just asked me, hey, can we get some Milk Duds and some Sour Patch Kids? I'm like, yes. Of course we can. He, but he didn't say, I beseech thee, Father. <laughs> the milkest duddest draws us. Can we Sour Patches Kids in the... No, he just said, hey, can we get some Sour Patch Kids and some Milk Duds? Yes, it's that simple. That's a dad and his son. 
There's no impressing. There's no, oh, I prayed only three minutes. If I pray two more minutes, maybe God now will answer because I went five minutes. There's no right, oh, did I get the formula right? I think I put the confession before the adoration, but after the thanksgiving. Oh, which way is it? Talking to a loving father, right? Right, that's it. That's prayer. And that doesn't mean it's flippant. It's not, yo, pops, what's up? Milk duds. There's honor and respect because he is holy and God our father, yes. But it's not some distant, I have to impress him, I have to manipulate him. I think that God wants us to get this today, church. You pray to a loving father. You come to him like a dad. Right, let's go on. And he said, when you, say, when you pray, father, hallowed be your name. Fancy word, hallowed, right? Very King James. It just means, may it be holy. Some of your translations say, let your name be holy. Let your name be, you know, uh, regarded as holy. That's the idea, right? Whatever you pray, you're praying for God to be seen as great, for God to be seen as glorified. The goal, the big E of the eye chart of your prayers is that they are God-centered. God, may you be loved, may you be, may you be honored, may you be praised, may people adore you, may people see how great of a father you are. And so just a guiding principle for our prayers is we pray to a father who is great. Right? So even when we're praying for stuff for ourselves, God, we, I, I would love, I need the scholarship to help my family, or uh, we're praying for health, we're praying for, it's God, I, I'm praying for the scholarship because I want you to be seen as this great father who provides. I'm praying for success at work so that I can make much at you and so people can know you because I'm following you and I want to do things with excellence. I want to, I want to see my, my grandmother healed because I want people to see that you are the great healer. I want you to work in my soul and give, be strengthened in this issue over here that I've been struggling with so that I don't defame your name. It's all about God's glory. It's about his name. Right? God cares about his holiness and his reputation and his people do. And what Jesus is teaching is that his people have a passion to make the father look great. And so you look at a guy like David and you're like, how can this dude be a man after God's own heart? I mean, adultery, murder, deceit, down the line. And I think the answer is because he, he wanted God's name to be great. Remember that scene when he's like about to face Goliath? And he's running down the hill. He's running to the battle. And Goliath's like, oh, I'm going to eat you. Oh, you know, and he's like, you come at me with sword and spears, but I come in the name of the Lord Most High, whom you have defiled. It's all about God's name for David. And even though he was a knucklehead and an idiot in other places, he cared about God's name. And so he was a man after God's own heart. And it's the same thing we see when Jesus prays every time. In John chapter 12. When, when he's, he's just a couple days out from the cross. He says, my soul is just anguished, it's troubled. But what should I say? Should I, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? For I came for this very purpose. He says, Father, glorify your name. And then God speaks out of heaven, I have and I will again. Father, glorify your name. It's all about God's glory. So whatever you're praying for, ultimately it's so that God would be great, that he would be seen as great, that people would love him, that you would love him more, that you would hallow him and treat him as holy. It's huge, right? We pray to a father, and a father who is great. So Jesus says, next thing, he says, then you say, your kingdom come. And notice this, for if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer traditionally, the Matthew version, this is a condensed version, shortened, right? So he's kind of getting the big points here. 
where he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What does every kingdom in the world have in common? They got a king, right? Thus kingdom. And guess who's the king? Your dad is the king. Right? Some of you grew up and your dad was the boss and you went in and you're like, I want a Coke. And they were like, oh, here's a Coke, here's a Coke, here's a Coke, here's a Snickers, right? Everything, because you're the kid of the king. Your dad is the king of kings if you're a Christian and he's the Lord of lords, right? You've been adopted to be a child of the king. And so the third thing we, we, we learn from Jesus' prayer is that we pray to a father who is a king. Pray to a father who's a king. And we've seen in our last series in Daniel, we call it Kings Collide, Kingdoms Collide. We see that there's this battle between kingdoms, right? But it's really not much of a battle because one day the, the rebellion will be crushed. It will end. And the unveiling of the kingdom will happen and we, as God's children, will rule and reign with the king forever. Forever. And what Jesus says is pray for that. Your kingdom come. And when you look around, you got brokenness, cancer, affairs, unemployment, wars, relational conflict, challenges, bankruptcy. I mean, there is brokenness all over the place. And the only solution to that, y'all, is not counseling, although that can be helpful, and it's not, you know, good leadership in government, although that can be helpful. The only solution for the brokenness that is in our world is the king returning. Do you get that? I know, you know, you th we think we can kind of go out and change everything. You cannot. You can do your part that God's called you. But the only, the only thing that's going to solve the problem is the king returning. This is, we, I, was, I read through on my kind of summer hiatus, real spiritual book, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, okay? I ain't afraid. But there's this great scene, and the movie brings it out really well, too. Uh, and, and it's one of my favorite, it is probably my favorite scene in the entire series. So they're at, at the Battle of Helm's Deep, and all the nerds are excited now, and all, everyone else is not. But it's so the Battle of Helm's Deep, and so the orcs are like coming in on, 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 uh, on the men and the, the dwarves, and the, there's only one dwarf, but anyway, bad guys, good guys, and the bad guys are winning, right? And it's hopeless at this point. But there's this great scene when Gandalf the White comes in on a white horse with his white staff and he just shines it over the mountain and all the evil forces are like, ah, they can't see. And they come in and the riders of the Rohan come in and they're like the angels, I guess. And they just kind of wipe everybody out. And it's, there's no doubt in my mind that Tolkien got this image from Revelation when one day there will be one who comes in on a white horse with the armies behind him and just wipes it all out. It just ends the chaos. That is what we pray for. That's why the early church says, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, Lord. Right? And the idea, and, and Jesus takes the prayer a little further in Matthew, which says, your kingdom come, your will be done. You are a king, so you rule, so you rule in my heart right now. Rule in my marriage. 
Your will be done in my marriage. You're the king. You're the king over my marriage. You're the king over my children. You're the king over the direction of my life and what school I go to and what job I take and what, where I'm going to move to and all these things. You are the king. Your will be done. Look, and that's, that's great when everything, you're, when God's will and our will line up like this. It's like, yes. What's hard is when God's will is here and your will is there. Right? When, you, when God says, oh, it's our turn to go, uh, we're moving to Kalamazoo. And we've been here 10 years. And, and, and it, oh, that's hard. It's hard when this is the desire of my heart, but God's saying, no, this, this is what's best. That's, that's when the prayer gets real, y'all. And let's be honest, that's not easy. Your will be done. Right? But I can tell you, the model again is Jesus in the garden on his face, just drenched with sweaty blood, bloody sweat, saying, Father, take this cup from me. The wrath that you're going to pour out on me, let it pass, Lord, let it pass, but not my will be done, yours. That's what it means to pray to a king. You're the king, I am the subject, your will be done. But we, we pray to a good king. We pray to a good father. Right? And so his will is always better than our will. So we pray to a father who is great and who is a king. Right? Next portion. Give us each day our daily bread. R- literally, the, the, the idea is your bread for tomorrow. What you need for tomorrow. Does God care about your needs, y'all? I mean, does he care about your college loans? Does he care about, you know, the, the clothing fund for your kids and uniforms for school and date night fund and the power bill and the transmission on the first? Does he care about those things? He tells us he does, right? He, he, he's teaching them. He says, I care about these things. Bring these things to me. I will meet them. I feed the birds. They don't, they're not all worried about what I'm going to eat. They just go out and find themselves a worm. I clothe the, the lilies, and they're more pretty than Solomon ever was. How much more valuable are you, my adopted child, my daughter, my son? We'll see this in a few weeks. It seems so small, but... God cares about your needs. What's not small to the God of the universe? And just, and we're not just talking about big things too. I mean, God cares about the mortgage. That's kind of the big, I mean, just an example. A few, few months ago, this was, in my life, it was cool as an encouragement. So I had, I'm invited to a black tie event. I don't even have a black tie. Let them, so, and, and, and I'm thinking, black tie event? My wife's like, that means tuxedo. I'm like, are, did they know that they sent this to us? Because I mean, I just, just Okay, you know, so I, I go to Belk, and I'm thinking, I can, I can pull off a black suit with a white shirt, maybe, right? So I do, I do, and I'm looking, and I'm like, well, they have a tuxedo, it's on sale, but I'm like, I'm going to use this one time in my life. I'm not going to ever wear this again. We're not going to go get married again, right? We're good. We're good. We're, we're good. <laughs> 19 years, we're not going to renew it. If we do, we'll wear a suit, right? Okay, so... So I'm at Belkin, and I'm looking, and I found this nice black suit, and I'm like, okay, and I don't know what size I am, because I don't, like, really do wear sports jackets and things, but I'm trying them on, and it, and it turns out, in this one, like, gray jacket, I find my, my, my size, and it's like a, I can't even remember now, but something regular. It's not even short, which was encouraging me, because I have a short. 
So I think it was like a 42, maybe it's a 40, whatever. Some clothed guy will tell me later. But so, and, I'm, and the problem is in this black suit that is on sale and it is perfect and it's going to look like a tux and I can wear it to weddings and funerals later. It's a double whammy, good thing. They only have the short and the long. They don't have the regular. So the short's like right here. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. And the long's like down here, like, oh, I can't do that. It makes me look even shorter. And so I'm trying to, I, and I'm just looking, looking through. And there's, you know, there's 50 jackets and they don't have one my size. And I'm like, so I'm, so I'm going through the options. And then I just stop. I'm telling you all, I just stop. I said, Lord, I need the regular. <laughs> I just need it. I said, just help me to find the regular. And I go up and I see one jacket and I pull it off and I'm thinking maybe somebody, you know, because some of y'all slackers put things back on the wrong hanger sometimes, right? So I grab the hanger and I have this one. I'm like, maybe someone put the short on the long one. Sure enough, I pull that thing off. I look in it. It is exactly my size. Just mishangered. And I'm like, I just, you know, I immediately said, you know, Lord, do you even care about suits? And I just, I just want to encourage you. Your father cares. He answers prayer of his children, right? Even for black ties. And so the, the next thing is pray to a father who provides. Pray to a father who provides. God like, delights to provide for his children. Because he loves it when we depend on him. And he loves it when we are thankful the, and the reason I know that is because I'm a dad and I am a cheapskate and I still do. I love, I love being able to provide things when I can afford them for my kids. And I love it when they are thankful. How much more a God who is the God of the universe, who has the resources of the universe. And I am not promising rich, riches or anything else. If you're hearing that, do not hear that. I'm not promises, promising you will be wealthy. I'm, that, I'm not going there. What I am promising is that God will provide your needs. Because he says your daily bread. And sometimes daily bread is all you need. You don't need yearly bread. Maybe you don't need decade bread. You need daily bread. Right? And, and, and God is, te- I'm telling you, he's teaching me this now because my kids are getting older and they are super expensive. And my savings account is like, shh. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm getting nervous. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just being transparent. I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm thinking, man, how, how are we going to do X, Y, and Z? And we, we got to... But then I'm coming to a passage here. I'm not going to starve. My kids may starve, but I'm not going to starve. <laughs> but God wants to cultivate dependence and thanksgiving in you. And our problem, y'all, here's our problem. We are so rich because we live in America that we don't pray for daily bread because we got 20 years of bread, some of us. And this is why the Proverbs is so wise. The proverb of Agar in Proverbs 30, where he says, Lord, don't give me too much so that I deny you and profane you. And so I say, where is God? Who is God? Because I don't need God. But don't give me so little that I go stealing and then I they profane your name. Again, it's about God's name. He said, just give me enough. See, that's good. That's why Paul says godliness and contentment go hand in hand. That's why I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not I can dunk a basketball. It's I can be content with whatever God has for me. That should be the prayer of his church. This is why James says that God doesn't give you something sometimes because you ask so that you can spend it on your pleasures. He says, give me daily bread. 
Daily bread is a place of dependence. Daily bread is a place of thanksgiving. That's what he wants, right? And so understand, God's gonna meet your needs. It doesn't mean he's gonna drop a check or a Ferrari out of the sky. Your needs might be met by you working overtime. You know that? That might be your needs met. Your needs might be met by getting a second job delivering pizzas just so you can pay off that debt. That might be God's provision for you. It's not gonna be, oh, look, the government just sent me $5,000. They're gonna take 5,000, not gonna give you five. All right, so we pray knowing God will do what he says he's going to do. Because we have a God who provides, right, daily bread. And this is, by the way, why we pray at meals, right? We're thanking God. Thank you, God, for providing. That's what it is. That's something like, oh, holy. It's just like, hey, God, this food is a gift. This taco, it is a gift. This PB&J is a gift. This hamburger, this beautiful hamburger is a gift from God. And you vegans need to go celebrate that. (laughs) This is a good thing. Thank you for this good, delightful thing. That's 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 why we pray at meals, right? Because we're thinking, hey, it's an acknowledgement, my daily hamburger, okay? So we pray for it to a dad who is great, who is a king, who provides. Next portion, he says, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted. He's not saying, forgive us because we forgave everybody. That's not the idea. We're going to deal with forgiveness in a couple chapters of other people. But the idea is, because I've been forgiven, I, I must forgive. But we'll deal with that more later. I want to focus on the forgive us our sins. And obviously, Jesus is not praying this for himself because he is sinless. So it is a model for us. And what he is saying is that your prayer life should be flooded with repentance and confession. Right? Why? Because you blow it. Because you sin. And the beauty of it is Jesus knows he did, you sin. And he knows, he knows what kind of week you had. He knows what kind of week you're going to have. But he says, come anyway. He knows you're coming broken as a sinner. And he invites you to come. And that's the next thing is we pray to a father who forgives sin. Right? He commands us to do it. Confess your sins. And it's not that you're coming on your own You come to the Father through Jesus, right? That's what Paul says in Ephesians, that we have access to the Father because of the sacrifice of the Son. But now we come to a Father who forgives. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us. And and confession and repentance, y'all, is an important part of our prayer life. Not because we can lose our salvation. It's not that you, once you sin, oh, I lost my salvation, I have to go get it back again. If you are a child of God, you are forever a child of God. But there is times when there's sin, that intimacy is broken and that closeness is not as as close as it used to be because of your sin. And God says, you come to me and, and we restore that intimacy. And because of what my son has done, I forgive you. And, and, there's, and there's practical reasons too, by the way, why we do this, because sin will actually keep your prayers from being answered. Do you know that? In fact, the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you do not hear me. A couple weeks ago, maybe about two months ago, there's a lot of vacuuming illustrations today. My oldest was vacuuming and he's like, dad, this thing ain't working. And I've taken it apart, I can't figure it out. I'm like, okay, let me take it out. So I, I mean, I got the screwdriver, I take this thing out. There was a sock up in the pipe somewhere. I'm thinking, first of all, who, who does that? Who, who, who picks up a sock with the vet? Yeah, that's some dirt. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, that's another failure of me to teach kids to vacuum. But I'm like, of course it's not working. It's, it, it's blocked. And as soon as I pulled that puppy out, man, it's all good. Sin, it, it, it puts a block on, on fellowship with, with the Father. Husbands, God, God says that if you do not live with your wives in an understanding way, that God, your prayers are actually hindered. Doesn't say that about the wives, it says it to the husbands. That there's something about sin that breaks fellowship. And so Jesus says, hey, there should be a time of regular confession and repentance. And I'm not saying, oh man, man, I gotta remember everything I ever did. Man, I think in third grade I cheated on my spelling test and oh, I better go back and find that lady. She might not even be alive. And oh man, in high school I egged Mrs. McGillicuddy's house and oh, I gotta go back. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about keeping short accounts with God. You blow it to your employees. Man, Lord, I'm sorry. That was wrong. And you go back and you apologize to them. Right? There was a lustful glance. Lord, uh, that's not who you want me to be. Right? This short accounts. And if, and if you're not confessing and repenting sin, I can guarantee you're not fighting it either. I can guarantee it. Because you're probably just letting it settle in your soul. It's a regular part of our prayer life. Not to be guilty, but so we can celebrate the gospel. I've told you before, the most miserable person in the world is the Christian living in rebellion because he can't enjoy his sin, but he can't enjoy the gospel. He's just miserable. He can't delight in forgiveness and in fellowship with the Father. He can't delight in his sin because he always feels guilty. All right? And so it should be a regular part. We pray to a Father who is great, who is a king, who provides, who forgives. And he says, and lead us not into temptation. And this is not that God actually leads us into sin. We know that God cannot sin, nor does he tempt anyone, according to James. The idea is, protect me from me. Protect me from sin. Protect me from that thing that always is an issue with me. Deliver me. In fact, uh, Matthew's version says, the evil one, which is a reference to Satan. Right? Dad, protect me. I was riding bikes with my, my two youngest last week, and we came to this kind of major intersection, and then one flew across, and then I got in the middle of my bike in the middle of the road, and then kind of like ushered the other one across. Why? Because I was getting in the way to protect him. I wanted to stop traffic so that he can get across. That's the image of what he's praying here. Pray to the Father that he would be a, a helper, a protector. And so the last, not the last, the sixth thing is we pray to a Father who helps, who leads, who delivers right? Who helps overcome. And this assumes, again, church, that you're actually fighting sin. Because if you're not fighting sin, you're not going to play for deliverance from it. And enough of this, like, well, that's just how I am, and that's how I'll always be. And then, uh, No, there's no justification for sin that put Jesus on the cross. All right? We pray for deliverance. We pray that he would help us. Lord, help me, help me to not be lustful in my, my, my glances. I'm going to this place and I know that this is going to be the temptation. Lord, help me, deliver me from that. From, from, the, from the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Right, all these things that, and you know where you're at. I mean, your sin's gonna be different than theirs and theirs. You know where these, if you're not praying about that, you're not having victory now. I guarantee it, because you're fighting it in the flesh. And God has promised those who, who are seeking that no temptation has overtaken us, but such as common demand. And that God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. With the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape. If you're looking for it. You gotta be looking, 
right? So we pray for victory over sin. We pray to a Father who helps us to, to be holy. And again, it's for his reputation. If you're a lazy sluggard at work, people are like, yeah, he goes to that church. It's his reputation. Well, it comes back to him in the beginning, hallowed be your name. All right? We pray to a Father who is great, who, who forgives sins, who provides, who leads. And, then, and he closes uh, th- this portion of Scripture with, a, uh, with two little parables. And we're just going to breeze through them real quick because they both say the same thing. Here's what, here's what he says. All right? Jesus said to them, um, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. The image is in a, in a culture of huge, high hospitality, a guy gets a visitor at midnight, which is like, whoa, man, we in bed, dog. And so this guy, and he's got no food. Because they make their bread daily, enough for dinner, and, and, and that's it. And he's got no food. So he's like, what am I going to do? I can't, I can't not feed this cat. So he goes to his neighbor, and he bangs on his door and says, brah, my, I got this visitor, and, and I need food. I need some bread. Will you get me some bread? And the guy's like, are you crazy? We're all in bed, too. And, and it's not bedrooms like, you know, we got the bedroom on the first floor, and the kids are in the attic. It's none of that. They're all in the same room, lying in a pile. And in their culture, the animals are in the house with them. I mean, it's like everyone's in sleeping bags all around each other. And you got the baby and the dog and the goat and the lamb. And if one person gets up, the whole house gets up. And he's like, dog, you go away. I ain't waking the baby up and the dog is barking and chasing the cat and the bird's all squawking and the goat's all this. Go away. And old boy's like, no, I'm not going away. And he keeps knocking on the door. And it's just like, bad neighbor. Right? But he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship. He's like, I don't care. Yeah, we were boys at Georgia Southern. I don't care. Yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much. He says, it's not his friendship that makes him get up. It's his annoyingness. He's knocking on the door. He's waking up the cat. That's what makes him get up. And he's not saying that's God. God's annoyed like, oh, don't wake me up. The point is, whoever seeks will find. It's open. Everyone who asks receives. The point is, persistence in prayer is what God is after. You be the annoying neighbor on the door, and God is never annoyed. But you just keep knocking, and I need the bread, and I need the bread, and I don't care about the cat, and wake up Milton, I don't care, and the baby's crying, and I want the bread. And he goes further and says this, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? No dad does that. Even the worst dad doesn't do that. And I love the statement. If you then, who are evil, tell us how you feel, Jesus. If you're, if you're wicked, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What better gift than the Holy Spirit? God literally living and dwelling in us, sealing us for the day of redemption, praying for us when we don't know how to pray, strengthening us when we are weak, comforting us when we are sad, being there when we are alone. He says, if you are wicked and you don't give your kids scorpions, how much more is your dad? How much better? And the point is this, the last thing, and I think it's big. Oh, I guess they lost the point up there. Last point is this. Pray to your father who hears and answers. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Be persistent. Why? I hear you. Ask. Why? I'm a good father who gives good things better than you give. Right? I mean, think about this. Out of 7 billion people on the earth and the cosmos that God is running and the universe and the billions of galaxies that he is, he is spinning around in his control, that when you, little old you, five foot nine, 100 something pounds in Savannah, Georgia, when you pray, the God of the universe hears you. And it's just like he directs. He's engaged. Right? Isn't that amazing? And it doesn't mean you're going to get everything you ask for. That's, don't hear that. God sometimes says yes. And God sometimes says no. And God sometimes says, okay, later. I mean, my nine-year-old comes up to me and says, hey, I've been riding my bike for like three years now without training wheels. I think I'm ready for a hog. I'm going to be like, I like where you're going, but not yet. You're not ready yet for a hog. Right? Because it's not good for you if I give you a Harley at nine years old. It's going to destroy you. <laughs> Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes he says no. Not for you right, right now. Sometimes he says wait. Whatever he answers, though, is for your good. How do I know? Because God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died. He's already given you the best thing he can give you in his son. So everything else is gravy. And even though we want this, and he doesn't say yes to this, or he moves in this direction, it is for our good. But here's the encouragement. When you pray, expect that your God hears, okay? Because if you pray without faith, James says, don't think that you're going to get anything, because you're just talking in a closet. You have a Father who hears. So pray as if he hears. Pray and believe that he hears. What a powerful privilege it is, y'all, to approach the throne of heaven. You get to walk into the throne of heaven and address your father through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And followers of Jesus pray. Bottom line. Right? So we're going to close in worship. And we're going to recite this prayer together as we pray. Because I think it's fitting. We'll do Matthew's version. But here, just, just think about this. Practically speaking, this week... When can you set a time, some time just to talk to the Father? And I, I'll be honest with you, I would rather you have seven times a day of 30 seconds talking than one time a week of 30 minutes. If I only texted my wife one time a week and for a 30-minute text, it's not going to be a great relationship. If I'm texting her seven times a day, talking to her even 30 seconds at a time, we're going to be that much closer. I would rather 30 seconds five times a day. Right? And, and don't be all... You know, be creative. Go on a walk. Some of you are power walking at 6 a.m. Pray. In your car, pray. And maybe you're the super disciplined person. You get up early and you get, you know, and you have your time and coffee before everyone else. Great, do it then. But the idea of praying without ceasing is not we never stop praying as far as 24 hours a day. Jesus didn't even do that. The idea is it's continual. It's constant. Talking. Be creative. Write prayers out. Journal them. Sing them. Right? It's, the idea is you're talking to your dad. Could you commit to that a couple times every day this week? How that would change your perspective on things? Where would you see God moving? Pray for things. Pray for your kids. Here's one thing I do. On my alarm on my iPhone, I set an alarm for every one of my kids and my wife. It's their birthdays. So at 12.02, my wife's alarm goes off. And at, you know, 7.26, my son's goes off. And I just, when that little alarm goes off, it's just silent. I just pray for that kid. Boop. This kid's at school right now. Father, pray for my wife. Just little prayer grams. 
just practical things. I don't know, but be creative. All right, don't make it too crazy. I'm way too long. Come on, boys, get up here.